Liberty lockdown, piss down your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. I have a very special guest with me today. You may know him as Brian Sharp, but I know him as Hotep Jesus. What's going on, man? What's up, bro? Thank you for having me, man. Absolutely. It's an honor, man. I, I've been uh, following you for a minute now, and I I just wanted to like dig a little bit deeper with you. Um, obviously, a lot of people are trying to get you into the ANCAP slash libertarian camp, so I wanted to run through a few topics and and kind of see where you're at and kind of understand you a little bit better. Cause I mean, obviously you talk about a lot of things and you got a lot of content out there, but I've not everybody's seen it all. So I'm going to just kind of go through it. Um, sure. first, first off, I wanted to ask, well, I know that you're obviously focused on building kind of your own empire, so to speak. What, what are you specifically building towards? Not just for yourself, but like, what are you trying to see in the world? Sovereignty, freedom, all right. liberty, all right. Liberty, liberty from the lockdowns. <laughs> hey, I'm done. I'm done with that. <laughs> I know. I uh, I look at this world uh, as it is exists today and has it existed for a millennia or more uh, as a game. And we understand that people with resources tend to do better at winning this game. Um, we also understand that the people that can do evil or the evil or the people that can do good um, are both doing that with resources, whether their own resources or other people's resources. So good and evil are both so operating off of resources. Now these resources could come in the form of money or something else. As we know, uh, capital comes from the Latin word capitale uh, and uh, that means land of resources. So uh, with Hotep Nation, the goal is to educate people in um, economics and finance, right? So when we think about economics, economics is described by Thomas Sowell, the uh, exchange of scarce goods and resources. Um, so when we think about sovereignty or independence, let's look at Hotep Nation as a nation or whatever movement you have or organization you have as a nation. When we look at, for example, World War One. Uh, World War One, uh, the Allied world was highly dependent upon the United States for war resources uh, and other um, commodities as well, um, weapons, so on and so forth, or items to build weapons or items to build submarines or whatever it may be. Um, uh, the Allied powers, some of them like uh, the British, were running the bankruptcy. Um, United States, because of the poor negotiating powers of Woodrow Wilson, um, was in a precarious position. Um, we had a lot of uh, negotiating power that Wilson did not understand, um, but he was afraid that we would hurt our economy um, if we were not able to transfer some of these resources and goods. But really, the uh, people that suffered most were the allied powers if there was this be uh, an embargo, for example. Um, so the point of the matter is, what if you have a nation, what are you importing or what are you exporting? 
if your nation is depending upon imports, you're not an independent nation. And that's the beginning of economics. Economics is about, you know, imports and exports. Uh, what can you export and, and what do you import? So when I think about individuals, it's about uh, the, the first rung of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If things hit the fan, uh, where are you going to get your food from? Where are you going to get your water from? Right. Uh, next level, where are you going to get your electricity from? Right. Uh, so I think about that. And I think about the trajectory of the United States and world history. And this thing could all come crumbling down at any moment. Uh, next year is going to be, be a very brutal year financially uh, for many people. Uh, and uh, the economy is going to take a, a huge hit. So how are we bracing for that? Right. Um, but I think that the whole the whole point is to, to circle back to my previous point is I don't want to be dependent upon somebody else's imports. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to sustain myself without anybody's help. So it's about you can even call it like prepper, right? Like a prepper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so big focus on financial independence. Are, are you are you advocating for, you know, kind of like the Trump uh America first protectionist type policies, or is this specifically just on an individual level? I could, I could rock with some of that stuff. I can agree with some of that stuff. I can support it. Sure. Um, it's not really our focus. Like I said, I would look at each individual, I would suggest that each individual family and each community, um, each village look at themselves as a nation and operate as a nation. Because when you operate like that, the state can't come in and tell you, hey, you got to wear a mask and you got to do this and you got to do that. It's like, wait, hold on. Like, look at the Amish. Right. Amish ain't under none of those mandates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they come and go as they please. But again, they sustain themselves. They don't rely on imports. Right. So I always think that ground level first. Obviously, I think it should be America first, though. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think that's fair. And is that... Is that simply because, because I, I know you've referenced a few times in the past, the uh, the African empires that were dominant in the way back, are are you interested in empire? Because obviously, as you know, a libertarian, I'm very anti-war, anti-intervention. I'm, I assume you're not, but I just wanted to clarify that because you know I'm not trying to get into any more wars personally. Um, I am interested in empire. You are an empire. Okay. Yeah, I I believe that not every empire has to operate evil as evil. Right. It can be uh, benevolent empires. The Mali empire was uh, quite benevolent um, under the King Masa Musa. Um, and I still think there are empires that exist today that try to do good by people. I look at building an empire, not as an offensive, but as a defensive mechanism. Interesting. Um, because human nature like I said before, scarce goods and resources, that's what we're really fighting about. When we look at the the history of racism in America, a lot of that was rooted in the fact that whites had to share resources mm-hmm. and they didn't want to share those resources. When we go look at Brown versus the Board of Education, right? Brown versus the Board of Education was uh, partly pushed by the NAACP, W.E.B. Du Bois, so on and so forth. Um, but um, when we when we go 
well, I can't say he, he he directly pushed it, but he was he was monumental in the growth of the NAACP, W.B. Du Bois. Um, but when we look back at um, that 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 situation of educating blacks, there were two minds. What happened was resources were coming from the government to schools in the South, and black schools weren't getting resources from the government and white schools were. So they were advocating saying, hey, we want we want equal share and resources of the government's giving out resources, you know, whatever those may be. And the blacks from the north, the, I guess we can call them liberals, um, were coming in and saying, no, we want to integrate these schools. You want to share schools and the blacks in the south were like, nah, we, we're not interested in integration. We just want, you know, equal resources if the state is, if the federal government is providing resources to the state, we should get a fair share because we live here too. We're all citizens of the state, citizens of um, of America. So we deserve equal equal uh, shares resources. And eventually what happened was um, integration won out. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, what was this about? It's about sharing resources. Mm-hmm. So when I think about having an empire, I think about having control of your resources. So you don't have to succumb to um, somebody else's um, demands for resources or be relying upon somebody else's resources. When you think of an empire, for example, when we go look at Dr. Claude Anderson, he talks about nation building. You know, he, he, he says, um, one of the things you're gonna need is an army. And it's not to colonize, it's to defend your resources. Because after you get them, they can be taken from you. Sure. So when I think about empire, I think about building an army for defensive reasons. Okay. That's why so, I'm a big fan of 2A. So, yeah. So you're not interested in, in intervention per se as much as you are in having meaningful defense and um, being self-sustained in the sense that you can't, you have to be able to defend those resources once you attain them. I, I think that's all fair. Um uh, the the only reason I pushed back or I asked is because obviously Libertarian Party is very much anti-interventionism. Um, so I was just clarifying. Describe this interventionism to me. So it would be basically like like you you de, you uh, defined it as there are some benevolent empires. And most libertarians don't view it that way. We view it as the vast majority of empire historically has been one of conquering people, and while we can advertise that we're doing it. Uh, for benevolent purposes or or that we are we are helping the savages is oftentimes how empires describe it. Um, in reality, oftentimes it is more about benefiting uh, local business, yeah. you know and and resource control, and it's less about actually helping the people on the ground as we've seen throughout the Middle East for the past you know fifty years as we drive them into civil wars and and topple their their rulers and you know, allegedly spread democracy. Um, so it's, I'm very hesitant to get on board with any policy that would, would basically write a blank check for that type of mentality. Cause it's like our history demonstrates pretty definitively that like, it doesn't work out how, how we're propagandized to believe it will. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Intervention is sold as something great and good, right? but really it's uh, a Trojan horse for colonization. You got it. Um, Yes, I don't agree with that at all, but I do agree with cooperation. For example, uh, and I use this example a lot, um, Super Bowl has a loser, 
Well, those shirts are already printed up. Mm-hmm. So what do they do with those shirts? They take those shirts and they dump them in places like South America and Africa. Right. Right. And then what it does is it actually destroys the economy because the local guy who makes clothes can't make a living because everybody's got free clothing. Mm-hmm. So he ends up on the poverty line. Uh, same things happen. Same thing happens, for example, with uh, the World Food Program. Mm-hmm. And they go and they bring grain. And now the local farmer is like, well, if everybody's eating for free, how am I supposed to be able to sell my goods? You basically destroy the economy. There's no exchange happening. Um, and I think a lot of that stuff is done on purpose um, for nefarious reasons. Um, so when I think of cooperation, I look at it as hey, if I want to help this nation, the first thing I'm going to do is have a conference. How would you like to be helped? Right? That's one thing people don't do, especially with Africa. Yeah, like they just, never. Yeah, they just decide, hey, here's what you need to do. And it's like, <laughs> wait, hold on. Like, <laughs> we don't need your GMOs, right? Right. Bill, um, Bill Gates ain't asking them if they want to, to try the vaccines out. He's just kind of <laughs> throwing it at them. Yeah, he's just coming in and saying, hey, here's what you guys need. Right. Uh, yeah, and, and and then selling them on it. That, mm-hmm. That's just not cool. Um. So, and there's, there's many different ways to solve the same problem and people are choosing the way that they solve those problems. There's no conference, so to speak. So, you know, I would say instead of me lending, I would be giving, mm-hmm. Hey, uh, looks like you guys need to have a sustainable economy. I'm going to send you guys some tractors. Here's this, that, and the third, and don't pay me back. We just I'm, happen to have a surplus and we want to see man. you guys do better. Right. I'm I'm so done with that. That's, I mean, that's voluntarism is how we describe it. So like, it's voluntary cooperation to assist people, whether it's people in our own country or it's people across the planet. It's just that you know, oftentimes, uh, in under the guise of humanitarianism, we say, hey, we're gonna lend these people this money. But then what what does that actually amount to? It, it ends up with the being our serf, you know, like, like yeah, they're that- an indentured servant almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to avoid that. I think that, you know, anytime you give the government the power to do this type of stuff, you run into problems where, you know, ultimately, even though they're advertising that it's going to be to their benefit, uh, we all know where it goes. So I, I would like to see more of a grassroots, like crowdfunding to assist other nations and then have no taxes. I, I've actually never heard you talk about taxes. What, where are you at on that? Like, do you want to diminish the state to the lowest possible level or, or how do you feel? I, I I don't understand um, how the the a government would operate uh, without taxes. Sure, um, I know they have um, in in brief periods of time, but they've chosen taxes here and there. Um, right. Tariffs could be a form of a tax, so on and so forth. Um, so when I think about reparations, and they say, "Oh, you know, the United States government has done us wrong." The United States, the corporation has done us wrong. Uh, and some people envision that as some sort of cash payout. And I'm saying I would really enjoy uh, tax exemption um, for black business Hell for yeah. a decade at the minimum, yep. you know, just to allow us to get ourselves off the ground and um, pull ourselves up. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not really a fan of taxes. Okay. So it sounds like you're, you're on the cusp I was I, I had the same path. I was I went libertarian to anarchist. So I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I believe in capitalism, but I don't believe in having a state per se. I think that would be the ideal solution. However, it's so it, at this junction, it's so impossible. I, I don't even like bother arguing the difference. Um, but 
I just think it sounds as if you want to have, so you're kind of a minarchist at this point. You want to have a very limited government, but still have one to, for defense and things like that. No, I wouldn't say that. I'm not, oh, no? I'm not, okay. a, no, I'm not, I'm not a fan of government at all. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, right. uh, I, 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 uh, I'm a hotep. So obviously I've been conditioned with the 5% movement started by Clarence 13X and the 5% movement says, um, 85% of dumb, deaf, and blind, and um, 10% um, can see, have eyes that can see, ears that can hear, and then the 5% can be benevolent. The 10% sort of takes advantage of the, the sheep, right? So in Spanish, the word pastor means shepherd. So basically, when you go into church, you're the sheep and he's the shepherd. Mm. Even when you look at Jesus Christ, he's always holding the sheep and then he's the he's a shepherd, right? Sure. So we understand that. Uh, the hoi polloi do need guidance. They do need leadership. Uh, I don't know if it has to exist as the state. My only rebuttal to the state argument is technically there's nothing wrong with the system we have in America. The system is actually pretty damn good. Okay. Tell me how. <laughs> The problem is the people. Well, on that, we'll agree, yes. <laughs> you see, uh, Andrew Breitbart said politics is downstream from culture. Right. Well, I say culture is downstream from industry and business. Mm. Well, it is now. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah. it always has been. Yeah. You know, even when we go back into ancient Egypt, it's, you know, ancient Egypt was a business. Right. Um, and so some people get confused. They think it's about worshiping gods and all this stuff. And it's just like uh, the temples were like uh, Wall Street. Oh, really? And, I didn't know that. Oh, business and, and accounting was very much. In huh. fact, you got um, some PhDs, some Caucasian PhDs that have done some studies. And they said that um, modern uh, monetary theory and economics was wholly designed based upon uh, how things operated in ancient Egypt. Okay. When, you, when, when, yeah, when Europe was in the Dark Ages, um, they had to look back and say, "How do we pull ourselves out of Dark Ages? How do we manage this state?" And there was two examples that they looked at. One of them was China, and the other one was ancient Egypt. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's real where modern uh, monetary theory um, grew out from and expanded. It became a, a different type of beast. Um, but yeah, so um, coming back to my point, um, I don't necessarily see this, this state as the problem. I see uh, unbridled business as the problem. Uh, there's a lot of money interests. Sure. Right. Now, let me just tangent really fast. Um, I always say that the Constitution was the first communist document in America and communism, I loosely define as the uh, centralization of power and in the hands of the state. And when we look at the Bill of Rights and the drawing of that and taking these 13 colonies and bringing them up under one federal government, that's a centralization of power. So I, I don't necessarily believe in the confederation of the states. But now that it's here, mm -hmm. what I notice is that when we look at things like the lockdowns and the mass mandates and all these other different things. And I just had uh, Andrew Esquire on my channel 
Uh, he runs a YouTube channel called Legal Mindset. I suggest everybody go and subscribe. Cool. But when we look at some of the laws that have been passed, they're not passed um, because somebody passed them. They're passed because people aren't paying attention. The Bitcoin community, FINRA, SEC, all these governmental bodies have put restrictions on crypto mm -hmm. in America. Well, where is the legal body that has been put together? You see, what happens is the system was designed for the intellectual mind, right? You can use the system however you want. We know that some people go to jail for petty crimes and some people do devastating crimes and they don't go to jail. Well, right. what's the difference? Intellectualism. Mm -hmm. Also, there's a lot of people who find loopholes in the law. Right? Sure. And resources. Yeah. So the culture of America through business, entertainment, Hollywood, et cetera, has taken intellectualism and made it something that's not important. People rather Netflix and chill than read and chill or study and chill. If the United States people wanted to, they could have a lot of these laws repealed. Another thing Andrew brought up was the fact that judges are elected. I don't think that's a good thing, but it can become a good thing if people organize and elected the judges that they wanted, right? right. Instead of letting, how many times has the average person gone to the town hall in their vicinity? Very few. Usually when you go there, it's just like old folks who ain't got much time. Right. <laughs> right? Um, and these people are usually antiquated in their thinking. Right. A lot of great values, but they're usually easily fooled. Yep. Um, the people can definitely organize and have and, and fight back mm -hmm. in the courts. For example, I brought this up in an interview with Andrew. Um, you got a lot of Twitter attorneys. And their arguments are on Twitter, but their arguments ain't in court. Right. You need to be talking, taking this stuff to the judge. We have all these people pulling data from the CDC. You know, they talked about they had excessive deaths reported, so on and so forth. But they're pulling data on death rates and infection rates and then all this stuff. You actually have the data to go in and tell the federal government you have no jurisdiction to impose anything on us because this thing isn't as serious as you say it is it's not as dangerous as you say it is yeah not even close <laughs> correct why isn't that happening exactly yeah. exactly and that's why i say the problem isn't necessarily the state it's us you see if we fought legally the state could be stripped of its power mm -hmm. and then you technically wouldn't have you'd have a powerless state well, that's a, that's a very inspiring way to look at it. I, uh, the only counter I would have to it is because of the state's mass and because of the fact that it has spent the past, you know, 100 years plus indoctrinating the people into believing that, you know, the state is benevolent and yet the state really rules over us. You have a lot of people now, like even the, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter or Antifa, like for the most part, these people aren't pushing to get the state diminished in power. They just want it. They want it applied differently. They want it applied for their own benefit. My my argument has been all along that it would be to the most benefit to the people as a as a whole 
if we were to diminish the state back closer to its original foundational principles of, you know, very, very limited governance. And it doesn't seem as if because people have been indoctrinated in public schools, how, how can we pass, I guess I'm asking you, how can we possibly get people on this page where they realize that like, sure, you can fight each new tyrannical law in court and that would perhaps slow the creep of tyranny, but how do we actually roll back the state and how do we inspire people to do so? You'd actually have to go retroactive. You see, right. people are trying to fight the laws now when really there is no um, statute of limitation when it comes to um, state law or federal law. You can go back as far as you want and start mm -hmm. fighting these cases. And if the thing is, if you go back far enough and fight some of these old laws, you make some of the new ones move. Mm -hmm. That's you know? true. Um, and, 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 and like I said, for example, how did the people come to be so brainwashed and conditioned? That's a question for you. Well, I, I mean, like I said, I think a lot of it has to do with public school. I think even though I'm not religious, I think a lot of it has to do with the demunition of, of the church and, and people getting away from God. Um, I mean, obviously, it's very multifaceted, so I, I don't have One a more. clean answer. Keep going. Keep going. There's another thing that's happening. What's um, the most powerful entity to destroy or condition minds in America? Oh, media? Boom. Yeah. So what is media? Media is an industry. It is mm -hmm. a business. Right. So when you ask me, you know, what is it can we do to fight back? We're doing it right now. Oh, I got you. Right. right. Alex Jones had the right idea when he said Infowars. That's exactly what we're in. We're Hell in the yeah. middle of information <laughs> wars. If we can win the information war, we win the war. All right. You, you got to remember that um, a lot of wars are fought um, via information. Right. Sending mixed signals, intercepting um, intercepting signals, intercepting messages, is espionage, so on and so forth. Information destroys nations faster than a bomb does. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, sending misinformation. You go look at, um, you know, some of the signals that were intercepted in, in World War One, right? And these different rooms that were spy networks and so on and so forth. British Admiralty had spy networks. So it's information that, that is the key to a lot of this stuff. Um, but I think we're doing it now, right? Having these conversations, educating people, getting them to think differently. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, there, I think there is a mass awakening happening right now. Uh, I think a lot of people are bucking against the system mentally. Um, and, and also we have to think about the uh, silent majority. There's a lot of people, you know, we might think that a lot of people are conditioned, but there's a lot of people just not speaking up. We don't know how they think. Yep. They, I, I talk about that all the time. Yeah. So, um, it's about us giving them um, the courage. So, for example, you know, let's talk about black folks for a second. The left wants to say, oh, we've been dealing with white supremacy and racism and so on and so forth. And it's to say, all right, well, let's look at the tech industry. Who runs the tech industry? Well, it's wholly liberal. Well, why aren't there? Why isn't there more representation of black people in tech? So it wasn't conservatives that were practicing racism. So, I, you know, I created this quote that says, um, the, the right might be able to hurt your feelings. You might even be able to hurt your body, you know, if you're like KKK or some white extreme nationalist. Sure. But the left could hurt your pockets. Yeah, for real. <laughs> they can they could destroy you generationally. Yep. They can get your women to walk into a Planned Parenthood and, and abort your future by the millions. That's yep. mass genocide, right? 
that's different than some one guy attacks one black guy, right? Mass, gen mass genocide is the way, you know, a lot of this stuff wants to go. And everybody knows about the history of Margaret Sanger and the Black Extermination Project or the Black Negro Project, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Um, you know, but um, so when we look at that, right, it's like the left has the power to destroy the black community through industry, coming back to, again, the industry and business and so on and so forth. So how do you fight back? Got to have your own corporations. Got to be yeah. able to hire your own people. You create. Uh, create. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's where um, the right has been lax. Black community has been lax. And a lot of this stuff has been hurt by communism, restrictions and barriers uh, in business. All right. The top guys come in and lobby the government to add restrictions and so on and so forth. And I said, we never forget the Russian Revolution was financed by Wall Street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so, it know, looks like it looks like the American Revolution is about to be financed by Wall Street, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's what it feels like to me. I, it, Man. Well, I, I don't disagree with anything you've said, honestly. I, it's just that I I lean a little bit more pessimistic in that I feel. Have you ever heard the term collapsitarian? No. OK. Collapsitarian is a libertarian that believes that collapse is inevitable. So I. I tend to believe that this system is so sick to its core and so rotten that, you know, this is not, this is not to be pessimistic as if like we can't collapse and then build back to something really beautiful. I'm just saying, I think that the amount of debt that we're under, the amount of indoctrination that we're under, the amount of, you know, passiveness and acceptance that the populace has of all of this. I don't think that you wake enough people up in time before the economic destruction comes to prevent it from coming. Um, so that's kind of, that's my, that's my worldview. That's my perspective. I hope I'm wrong. I say this all the time. I genuinely do. Like, even though I'm, I'm very financially free, I was an entrepreneur. I, you know, I'm 38, I'm basically retired. So like, I'm good, but I'm very concerned about, you know, I have friends and family that aren't good and I'm not good enough to look out for all of them. So I'm trying to, I mean, I'm trying, I'm definitely, alongside you in the fight for the information war to try and wake people up as fast as possible. Do you think we'll wake them up in time? Time. That's the problem. Um, and, and, and the separation of America from the world. So in order to understand the, the, the global plot, um, Africa is the new America. Africa is like America right before the gold rush. Um, you got, uh, I believe it's George Bush has bought a city, Kigamboni City in uh, East Africa, Tanzania, uh, outside of Dar es Salaam, I believe. Actually, it's far outside of Dar es Salaam. Um, he's bought a whole city out there. And the Chinese are going in and they're uh, economically colonizing Africa. Africa is right. a huge, massive continent. You fit all these countries inside of it. You know, most of these countries you can fit inside Africa. Right. What I believe is America will not be collapsed until they've figured out how to divvy up and control Africa. Mm. And then Africa will become the new America. And then America will become uh, a third world nation, so to speak. Interesting. Um, which, which is not a bad thing. I think in order to rebuild, sometimes you have to destroy. So I look at the collapse as good uh, because once this collapses, people will lose interest in it. 
Mm. Um, the difference is, is you know, well, we may become in servitude to the rulers of Africa, the people who end up colonizing Africa successfully. Um, but looks I like, don't think looks like China's in the driving seat on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I don't see America collapsing in our lifetime. Okay. I think we're at least two or three lifetimes away before America collapses. So maybe like 300 years from now, this place will be really crappy right. um, economically. But I think that they understand the people who, who've built this system know how to float the system, mm. you know, um, and punch the numbers on the screen and increasing the money supply. Right. Yeah, that's all they do now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So they're floating the system and they can crash it whenever they want and they can build it up whenever they want by increasing or decreasing credit. Mm -hmm. So they're wholly in control of that. And I believe that they're not going to allow this thing to collapse because it's, you know, based upon the economic system or the, the, the monetary system that they've created, it's on a path to uh, implosion. Um, But I don't, I I think they can keep it afloat until they figure out how to dominate. And, and, and the thing is, um, they've already been cooperating uh, with China. So it's going to be China and, and, and the uh, banking elite that has created the monetary system for America. Um, and then once they figure that out and they divvy up Africa, they're going to move the, to Africa and, and start over there. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's a fair assessment. I, I think the only difference of opinion is that I think it's going to happen a little bit faster. I think that, you know, whether or not this ne- next economic collapse in America is enough to push us all the way to third world. I, I don't actually think that. I think that it's enough to be extraordinarily painful to pe- for the people that live here. Um, and that's that's why I'm trying to well, know, I have wait. Some, I have to give you some pushback. Okay, go for it. Why are Americans so compliant? Well, I think we listed it already. The media and <laughs> public education. No? We're comfortable. Oh, true that. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. Everybody in America is really comfortable. Mm-hmm. As long as you can keep people comfortable, they'll never rebel. Yep. Right. They don't want a rebellion. They want a controlled rebellion, but they don't want a massive organic rebellion. Mm-hmm. If they plunge this thing into economics cla- collapse, there will be a massive rebellion and they, the, they'd have to flee this country. Hmm. Um, and this country would then be free. There is going to be um, a rollout. See, the economic collapse is just to bring in UBI. All right. And again, keep people just comfortable enough not to rebel. Right. And that's why I say they're going to float this country until they figure out how to restart in Africa and fix their wrongs over there with their monetary system and so on and so forth. And that's why I say there's a delay happening. You can you the only reason why you have rebellions in other countries like you see in um, France and um, obviously because France is, it doesn't have a huge propaganda machine like we do. So the media is definitely a huge part of that. Sure. But the people just aren't as comfortable mm-hmm. in America. Uh, I mean, even when you go overseas, you don't see fat people. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, we're, we're <laughs> real comfortable. Now, that's that's totally true. I think that's. That's probably the reason that people accepted lockdowns, too, is because they, you know, you could have food delivered to your house and you could work from home and you got Zoom and you got Skype and you can like it. Yeah, it didn't it didn't fuck people's lives up enough, basically. Right. Um, my, my only question is, you know, because I am 
of the Austrian school of economics that I believe that ultimately you can't do UBI and have unlimited debts and print to oblivion without having economic ramifications that will supersede whatever their intentions are. Like, sure, they can they can go to UBI and they can just put digits into everybody's account, but eventually those digits won't buy the goods that they need to survive. So that that's my that's my reason for believing that this will be expedited as opposed to lasting multiple generations. What do you think about that? It sounds good in theory, but in practice, America's been doing that for a very long time. True. It, based upon uh, Austrian economic theory, it's not wrong, just not wholly accurate. Mm-hmm. You can float the country as long as you want. You'll say, you know, back in the day, I was able to buy a, pe- a loaf of bread for five cents. Right. Now nah, you ain't paying five cents for a loaf. Of- you can't buy anything for a nickel. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like nothing. You, you know, nickel falls out your pocket. You're like, ah, oh, I'm not even gonna pick it up. Bro, right? you can't. You can't even make a nickel for a nickel. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so when people talk about this economic collapse, I'm like, we're living it. Well, that's true. We're we're living it right now. It's just that um, these people have so much control over the the money game that they're able to manipulate comfortability, Mm -hmm. keep enough of us poor, but not too many of us poor. Right. You see, in ancient Egypt, um, ancient Egypt invented poverty. All right. Um, The creation of money. The moment you create money, you create poverty because poverty is just a lack of money, mm-hmm. right? The difference between poverty in America and poverty overseas is just vastly different. Go through Jamaica and see what poverty looks like. Go through South America and see what poverty looks like. Go to India and see what poverty looks like. Yeah, in America, poverty is kind of cool compared to... <laughs> you still got a flat screen TV in poverty in America. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And you dress, you got clothes, you dress nice, yeah. and you got running water, right? right. So you know, poverty is really wholly subjective. Right? No, that's it's, true. You know, so... When I think about America and them floating this country off of credit and credit and credit, it's just like, and it keeps talking about this dollar collapse. I'm like, the dollar has already collapsed, right? And I'm still trying to like wrap my mind around this thing because it's just completely absurd. Mm-hmm. But um, the fact that a nickel doesn't buy you anything nowadays should let you know like the dollar has already collapsed. Mm-hmm. I think what we're talking about is like hyperinflation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like you see in Venezuela, like overnight hyperinflation. Yeah. But again, that doesn't happen because of the issuance of credit. That happens because of like economic hitmen. Like this is, for example, uh, when OPEC controls the price of oil, that's what destroys Venezuela. When they say, hey, look, you got to shut down your oil factories. Right. Right. Like a lot of people want to blame it on communism. Communism just made it so that decentralization of power right and then you can go in and say hey through this certain dictator or leader or president we can make decisions through him we can force his hand but when opec's allowed to say like yo shut down not gonna buy your oil anymore going back to imports and exports Mm -hmm. that's what usually destroys a nation and causes hyperinflation this massive control so united states i feel like hyperinflation will happen when they want it to happen that's fair 
I'm, I think my question is, do they want it to happen sooner rather than later? It, it appears to me that they are lining up to create central bank digital currencies while simultaneously uh, working towards over-regulating and perhaps banning um, you know, free market cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. So I, I think that there's a chance that this is their intention and they realize that the debt is unsustainable. Um, obviously, you, you have a different timeline on this perspective, but I think that we see it pretty similarly. It's just that I'm... I'm more concerned that it's more imminent than than a lot of other people are, and and I realized that like I was concerned about it in 08. You know, when we had the 800 billion dollar bailout in 08, I was like, man, this this is going to get real sketchy. And and I think in truth, while they did paper over that that crisis, what it created is everything we have today. We have increasing income inequality. We have you know social discord that's out of control. We have Antifa in the, in the streets, and you know. Um, you had Donald Trump. You have all of these factors that come about when you don't allow economics to function as they're supposed to naturally. They they basically game the system, but you still pay a price. But the price, instead of being economic, becomes cultural. And the culture has now become sick because the, the government essentially has broken the laws of economics. At least that's that's how I view the world. Um, what do you think about that? Is that crazy? Yeah, well, let's go back to, you know, something you said. You said that they're coming with this digital currency. And when I hear people say that, I'm like, don't we already have a digital currency? Nobody, nobody really spends cash anymore, <laughs> right? True. Like, you know, you're not going to the bank and taking out $35,000 in cash. In fact, you'd have to fill out a lot of paperwork to do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, cash is actually um, inefficient, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to pay somebody in cash, like and you want to buy a house, imagine sending oh. these Brink trucks of $300,000 to some guy, right? <laughs> where, I'm, where I'm at, a starter home is like 800K. So yeah, that would be pretty impossible. Right. Like who's going to do that, right? Right. So when you think about digital currencies, like we're already in that system of digital currencies, right? Mm-hmm. And then we talk about um, cryptocurrency, right? So obviously they want to control cryptocurrency. Yes, we know that. But I'm also skeptical of the validity of things like Bitcoin. Like who created Bitcoin? Nobody knows. Some mystery guy named Satoshi Nakamoto, right? And his name is a mixture of all these different Chinese companies. (laughs) 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 So we just talked about how China wants to take over, right? Yeah. Uh, Who has the most mining power? China. China. (laughs) Right? True. Okay, cool. Well, who created the SHA-256 algorithm? The NSA. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right. So this is NSA technology with China back in and the China name. (laughs) So I'm like, and people think like this is going to save us. I'm like, I don't know about that. (laughs) So so what I'm looking at is um, when we talk about the history of money, there's always been inflation and deflation of the currency. Right. Um, The creation of money and and the taking away of money, the destruction of money. So. what they try to do is they try to create this balance between the two. And what I think is Bitcoin actually helps sustain the economy because when there's too much cash um, out in the open, right, out in the market, out in the mm. economy, that's when we have this hyperinflation. Right. But what does everybody do with Bitcoin? Nobody really wants to sell Bitcoin. That's why the price keeps going up. Yeah, they just hold it. Right. So what's the market on, on, on cap on Bitcoin right now? It's like in the trillions, right? I think it just broke. Well, yeah, they just broke a trillion. Yeah. Okay. A trillion what? Dollars. dollars. Right. So <laughs> Bitcoin has just taken a trillion dollars out of circulation. 
That's true. Right. So when we think about helping the dollar, Bitcoin is rescuing America. That's through, an interesting point. Yeah. Right. Through yeah. the the detraction of dollars. Yeah, because it, it it removes liquidity that and it remo- removes monetary velocity. That's true. Right. Yeah. So when I think about modern banking powers and the banking elite, I'm like, this is a good mechanism for them because it doesn't let hyperinflation or inflation set in so fast because we're moving dollars from circulation. That's true. But they're playing with fire, man, because like if just assume for a second that Bitcoin is not some uh, psyop from China or from the NSA, if it's if it's genuinely like a an Austrian econ type entrepreneur renegade that created this shit. What they're doing, whether intentionally or not, is creating what could be a genuine competitor to the the US dollar's hegemony globally. And I just think it's an interesting game. If 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 it is if it is a genuine article, you know, if if Bitcoin is the real deal, um, and they're allowing it to exist to basically remove liquidity from the system so you so you don't see hyperinflation they may very well be laying the groundwork for an alternative currency which breaks them ultimately so uh that's still so me, still to be me, told though let me just correct myself really fast oh sure of that one trillion of course it's not just united states dollars no no yeah right so i just want to make sure we're clear on that so people don't be like oh hotel jesus there's a trillion dollars of usd no it's not oh, at all bro, we we talked about bitcoin and we said anything other than it's going to a you know, to the moon, people are going to be pissed no matter what. It doesn't matter. Dude. People yeah. are so, people are so gangster about Bitcoin. It's unbelievable. Right. Um, <laughs> I think I think what it is is moving to. Um, so let me just segue and bring me back to this. Remind me, it's talking about control, right? Okay. The the point of putting a nation in debt is for control. That's the point of it, right? And say, okay, now because you're in debt, we own you. Mm. Okay. So debt wasn't created for America by accident. It's created on purpose, right? Cool. The thing with the digital dollar cryptocurrency isn't about anything other than control. It is also the removal of privacy. If I exchange Bitcoin with you, everybody knows about it. It's on the blockchain. Right. You can see it. So if I make a transaction with you, you can track my Bitcoins from there because you know what wallet address it came from. You can go look at all the different transactions I've done with that wallet. Mm-hmm. There is no privacy in Bitcoin. Well, yes and no. People talk about how you can mix it. Like, I, I honestly, I'm too much of a you novice. Can, you, can, you can wash it. Right. Right. You can definitely wash it. <laughs> Right. But like you said, you wouldn't even be able to explain that process. No, no. Right. So the people that can do that are the one percent of us. Right. No. Okay. It's a very small minority that actually understand how to do it. Okay. Yeah. Right. So you have a noob who comes into this whole Bitcoin game and it's just like, oh, yeah, moving stuff around. He might not know that his Bitcoin is not private. Mm -hmm. You'd have to explain that to him. Then you'd have to tell him, hey, this is how you got to wash your Bitcoin. Yeah. You have to teach them. So again, this is more learning that has to happen. And only, and again, this is the savvy, right? Mm-hmm. Coming back to intellectualism is going to always rule. Right. So you got to watch your Bitcoin and have privacy. What do you think is going to happen when the United States government puts the dollar on the blockchain? You think you're going to have any privacy? They don't no. track. Track. See, the thing is with cash is they can't track it. Right. They try that's, to. That's why the they want to get rid of cash. Yeah. 
bingo. Yeah. That's why they want to get rid of cash. So they can track everything we do. And then coming back to that T word, tax. Mm -hmm. How are you supposed to do anything and avoid taxes when they can see every single thing you've done via the blockchain? Yeah. No, I think that's 100% the plan. Um, I I haven't heard you talk. And I know the hoteps are obviously you're like you're spiritually awoken, but are you are you also, and I think you've also talked about health. So like you guys are very concerned with, with having good health or are you guys anti-drug like criminal criminally or just morally speaking? I've never heard you guys talk about that. Uh, I don't think drugs should be criminalized. Okay. I don't think the selling of drugs should be criminalized. Hey, now we're talking. (laughs) (laughs) Let's think about this, right? Um, Meth. If you and I would go in the basement and start cooking up some meth, we're criminals. Mm-hmm. But the pharmaceutical industry can go cook up some meth, call it Adderall, and everything's <laughs> all good. Yeah, exactly. The, 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 the criminalization of selling drugs is really the cre- the creation of monopoly over selling yep. the drugs. Yep. Right? All right. Um, you know, even when we look at um, they made Iboga illegal in America. Right. And Ibogaine is the drug that they make right. out of Iboga. So you got to go to get rid of your addiction to drugs. You've got to leave the United States yep. to go use a drug that the United States made legal, illegal. Right. Right. So it's and, like and they for, want you for the for those that are listening that don't know, uh, Ibogaine is, is a really well-known treatment for alleviating uh, addiction, opium to, addiction to, to many things. But de- definitely opium, which is probably the addiction that we are suffering from most in this country. So. Right. Not, so, not an accident. Not an accident. No. So first you criminalize opium. Then you send your troops over to Afghanistan to protect the poppy fields yeah, right. that they make from opium. <laughs> then then sketchy motherfuckers. <laughs> right. So if you get caught doing it or selling it, you go to jail. Then if you try to get another drug to relieve yourself of this addiction, you go to jail. Right. Like this. <laughs> Dude, it's toxic, man. It's toxic. Yeah. But but are are the hoteps though? Are they like are you guys about like not doing drugs? I don't whether or not yeah. criminalized. You are. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we want to do anything that harms our body. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. Um Dude, I'm telling you, your libertarian is a motherfucker. I'm telling you right now. Like yeah. Because this is to- this is totally what we're about. We're like, most of us don't even do drugs, but we we just say we don't want them to be illegal because of the exact reasons you just listed. So yeah, you know, I got a shout out uh, Aquarian Anarchy, another YouTube channel. I, I would, you know, libertarian's cool. I-, I like the word anarchy a little bit better. Hey, I'm um, with it. yeah, shout out to Chad Lemoyne. He he really put me up on um Rothbard and Bastiat and all yeah. these people and really got me educated on what anarchy was and so on and so forth. So I'm appreciative of that um, knowledge because prior to I had no idea what anarchy was and I was opposed to it because of the conditioning. Yep. Um, but when I got educated on it, I loved it. But, you know, when we look at some of the drugs, there's a lot of positive that can come from these drugs, too. True. You know, so it's just like and then what do you consider a drug? Right. Caffeine's a drug. Caffeine yeah. is one of the most addicting drugs. The most addicting drug in, a, in, in the world is sugar. Mm-hmm. That's free to move around and so on and so forth. And, and not, not only free, we subsidize it. <laughs> right. To get more of it. I mean, Good point. Good yeah. point. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. And I, I don't even think I knew that. Um, but what's the number one cause of cancer uh, outside of stress? Probably sugar. Obesity. Oh, sugar. Yeah. Sugar. Sugar yeah. is what's making people fat. When sugar enters the body, it turns into fat. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so um, that's not illegal. No, definitely not. In fact, it's pushed on us pretty aggressively. We used to have a fucking chart that <laughs> it was like, you know, uh, grains and sugar was like a huge, the biggest thing we were supposed to be putting in our bodies. It was just insane. And people still listen to the fucking, the government when it comes to our health during a pandemic. I'm like, have y'all been, a pay- y'all been awake for the past 30 years? Cause like, yeah, this ain't working. I knew, I knew something was wrong when they weren't talking about building immune health. Exactly. Exactly. And they still don't, by the way, they still no. don't say a damn word about vitamin D or, or getting the sun or any, anything exercising about yeah, exercising or- and cutting your weight, you know, even though obesity is really what kills the vast majority of people that actually get it. I mean, it drives me crazy, man. Anyways, I've, I've heard you talk a lot about, um, uh, obviously people constantly make you define and explain what Hotep is. Very few people, at least I've never heard you explain where the Jesus came from. Like where, why, why did you take that moniker? Obviously I know you're a marketing savant, so it was just a really good name, but I would like to get an explanation as to your religious side and like where, where that came from. Yeah, I was uh, raised Catholic. I was, confirmed i think at the age of 16 and 17 i was confirmed in the catholic church and um it was um some good and bad i enjoyed the smell of the frankincense uh, frankincense mm-hmm. um and 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 mass was quick and short it wasn't like my mother's methodist side where we sit in church for three to four hours you know that's the black church you know yeah um that was grueling so i enjoyed the the Catholic church, 45 minutes. Are we out of there? Okay, good. It's over with. You know? The black church has so much better music though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Um, but the Catholic church has something very mystical about sure. their music. Yeah. You know, when we think about the chanting of, you know, uh, mantras, you know, when you say, Oh, and the vibrations it creates on the pineal gland and pituitary gland and all of that stuff, right. The activation of the chakras or whatever you want to believe in. That's what the Catholic Church is doing. I know, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> and the resonance through the building. Yeah. Right. Is 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 very there's something very mystical about it, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't just uh denigrate it. So let's Definitely let's not. yeah. So it's kind of funny because as a kid, we hear these stories of Jesus and you know, Jesus' return. And at a young age. I don't know if it was narcissism because I was the only child. I don't know if it was narcissism or ego, but I was like, what if I'm Jesus? I always said that. What if I'm Jesus? I could, I could be Jesus and, and nobody would know that. I wouldn't know it. Right? <laughs> and then, um, and then I kind of got back into Christianity a bit and like in my thirties, I was like, I kind of want to look towards God and so forth. And yeah. um, I'm not on that path anymore, but um, I had this spiritual awakening and, and, and it, it, it saved me and ruined me at the same exact time. Hmm. So what happened was um, I got the job with 50 Cent because I had a very popular entertainment blog. But after seeing all the evils and demons, in the music industry, I um, had this spiritual awakening. I wanted nothing. I wanted nothing to do with the entertainment industry. My, hmm. my blog made me sick. Hmm. So I destroyed it. Keep in mind, this property was like generating massive amounts of income or could have been right because of the millions of hits. I could have just turned that thing into a money machine. Um, That's a powerful decision to make, man. I destroyed it. That's wild. (laughs) So it was the worst business decision I've ever made in my life. Best spiritual decision. Yeah. So when I came back to Twitter, my spiritual awakening, I... um, I was anonymous. I didn't even, I didn't want people to judge me off of my looks. 
Right? I just wanted you to judge me based upon my thoughts and my intellectual mind. Um, so eventually, you know, people enjoyed my tweets and uh, they said, make a YouTube channel and start telling us more about these thoughts you're having on Twitter. So then I became a face again mm-hmm. against my own will. Um, people were like, yo, it's really creepy that you have, you know, you're anonymous, like, you know, be out in the open, let people see your face. And I'm like, all right, it kind of makes sense. Um, so somebody one day, they said, uh, I was tweeting, you know, holier than, not holier than thou, but it's tweeted very holy and from my spirit. And they said, what do you think you are? Some sort of hotep Jesus? And I was like, that shit got a ring to it. You're like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought about it. I thought about it, you know, maybe five, 10, 15 minutes. I can't remember. And I immediately changed my name to hotep Jesus and just been on ever since. Well, that, that's interesting. So so you said that you're you're no longer on the religious path. Um, but you obviously with the Jesus in there, it's you're going to be assumed to be. Does that bother mm. you at this point? Nah, like you said, I'm I'm a marketing guy, right? And okay. and and marketing is all about you know, garnering attention, right? And grabbing people's attention as fast as possible. You see the name Hotep Jesus, you have no choice but to kind of question what the hell is going on here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you pay attention, that's for sure. Yeah. So like half my job is already done, but I would consider myself more mystical and spiritual than religious, yeah. you know, and, and I think the word religion uh, gets some bad connotations associated with it. Sure. We, we brush our teeth every morning religiously. Hmm. You know, there's certain things we do religiously. So when I think of religion, I think it's more about ritual and habits, yeah. right? So what is it that you do over and over again? One of the things I like about Islam is they pray five times a day. Hmm. That's their ritual. They do it over again. That's their habit. And I love that. So when I think about religion, it's not about, you know, what denomination you assign yourself to. It's more about what are the daily rituals and habits of your life? And that's your true religion. Show hmm. me your habits and I'll show you your religion. Right. You can say you're Christian all day long, but if you drinking and beating on your wife, you're a wife beater. You're a right. drunk wife beater. Right. That's your religion, you know, and your God is Hennessy or vodka, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's cognac or vodka. And, I, and I'm not sure if uh, I believe in hell, but you might be going there if you're doing that. So, <laughs> right, right. So, um, have, you I would, talk, I, have you ever talked to Vin Armani? Oh, of course. Okay, okay. Well, he came on my channel a couple of times. All right, a cool. Real deep conversation. We had a great interview, and I'm gonna bring him back again soon too. Heck yeah. yeah, he's on my, my show guy. next week. That's why I asked because I am I'm such a you know I I was raised basically not atheist but agnostic for sure. No church growing up. I did mushrooms in college. That was probably as close to God as I ever got. I was like, whoa, you know, the third eye opens up a little bit. Like it it takes a blink for a second, and I was like, okay, there might be something else to this other than myself. And then, you know, I, I shift back, I focus on uh, self growth and entrepreneurialism and financial gain and material gain. And then, um, you know, then I end up with the lockdowns kind of shifting back into more of the introspective and the philosophical. And then I find this Vin Armani guy who's talking about tradition and Catholicism and like these things that I would have never considered. And now I am now I'm genuinely considering it because it's really beautiful. What I, what I see in him, you know, what I see the, how awake he is, I feel like I would be foolish not to at least consider his path. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I I would consider myself religious tolerant. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people would look at some of the bad things that have been um, blamed on religion. 
I think religion's beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I think all the religions are, are are beautiful things. There's nothing in these. I wouldn't say nothing, but there's few things in this book that are actually bad. Most of it's really good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, some of the stuff that's bad is just because of uh, it's antiquated and based upon old cultures and ways of life. Exactly. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. I I I, I don't follow a religion, mm-hmm. but um, do you meditate? Because you talk about like third eye chakras and all that and that's kind of a buddhist meditation type i believe in meditation but i don't okay that's right fair. like like uh when i was going through my spiritual awakening i was, med- I was a meditating beast <laughs> you know i was fucking levitating on the moon and, <laughs> you, know, like, um, you know these days uh i just don't make time for it you know i think it's because of um, my, my spiritual awakening was so powerful that I don't need it. It would be great to add to my life, but I don't need it. Like I, I have moments of meditation, mm-hmm. right? Like some people think about meditation as sitting still and closing your eyes and chanting some stuff. And I can move into a meditation mid thought mm. because I've done so much meditation. I can just clear my mind. For me, meditation is the mitigation of emotion. Mm-hmm. Meditation is the mitigation of thought. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if something's irritating me, I know how to zen out. Mm. That's my form of meditation. So you got some people, man, they meditate all the time, but they still get irritated. Yeah, they're, they're not really applying it to their day-to-day life, or at least they're not, they're not to the level where they can do that yet. Right, right, right. So it's like the spiritual thing is more about how you manage the crisis and how you manage the sunny days. Mm-hmm. For right? sure. And I think that I manage the crises a lot better um, than most. And, mm-hmm. and that's a very egoic thing to say, but um, I should say a lot better than I've ever been able to manage my emotions. I'm mm-hmm. at that place where it's very hard to knock me off my square. And even when, when you do, I'm still on my square. I just allow emotions to be um, a vehicle for communication. That's fair. Uh, I know the, the game is to be sold, not to be told, but I got to ask you about the uh, the kind of, uh, I don't want to say pickup artist, but kind of like life coaching side of you where you're you're talking about um, increasing masculinity and things like that. Uh, why, why were you inspired to do that? Other than obviously it's a good marketing platform, uh, but also it seems as if there's some desire in you to help young men in this path. So where, where did that come from? And if you can give a little background on it. Yeah. Two things that happened uh, during my growth. I'm 40 years old. Mm-hmm. So when you start hitting like 30, you start understanding life more. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you start having success, you basically got this thing called experience. Um, so I wrote two books, one on marketing and one on masculinity. And I had been writing these things in my head for a long long time. And really what happens is as you live through life, you're creating rules for yourself, right? So with the marketing book, I had all these rules swirling about how I would operate on Twitter, how I'd operate as a marketer. Problem was these thoughts kept my mind busy. So I said, I need to get these out of my mind and on the paper. Um, I I, I wanted to make it easier for myself to get a job in the tech industry. And I knew that writing a book um, would establish myself as an authority. You know, I'd walk into interviews and 
toss them a book like here. Um, yeah, here's my book. Here's a copy. I'm giving this to you as a gift. And they'd be like so impressed, like, oh, wow, you right. wrote a book. You know right. what I mean? And then we can get into some of the philosophies I have in marketing. Um, so the motivation for that book was really it was really selfish. Hmm. It was like. I need to take my own thoughts, put them on the paper so I can follow them easier instead of trying to remember them all. Mm-hmm. And what I found out was after I wrote the book, um, I didn't need to remember them because I wrote the book. <laughs> they were embedded in me. Yeah, now. it was built in you. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was built in me. And I was like, all right, let's, you know, market and sell this thing, obviously. Right. Need money. Same thing happened with masculinity. Um, I was a ladies man. Right. When I was 16, I'd be talking to 10 girls at at the same time, right? Dang. Yeah. So I remember, um, I, you know, my homie Frank, you know, he was like one of the closest homies and um, he drove. So uh, he was older. So he was 17. He'd drive. We'd go to the mall and I was outgoing. Um, I'm an ambivert. So I switched between introvert and extrovert. Oh, gotcha. So, um, We'd go to the mall and everybody'd be like, yo, uh, go go pick up some chicks for us, man. Go talk to those girls over there. So I'd go and I'd talk to the girls, I'd pick them up, whatever, whatever. So we'd hang out at the arcade. You're a teenager, you hang out at the arcade, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the funny thing, I was asexual. Oh, for real? Yeah. So you weren't I, actually interested. You were just doing it to hook up your boys. I liked girls. Right. I just was asexual. No, 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 I follow. I follow. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. I'm saying, like, if you're asexual, you you were probably not doing it for your own. No, I was. Oh, you were okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, like I said, I I liked girls. Like, I okay. did. I enjoy. <laughs> I enjoyed being around them. I didn't enjoy being around guys all the time. I thought that was a little. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't want to sit here and look at y'all all the time. I want to look at some girls. You know what I mean? For sure. So they're way better know, to look at. <laughs> yeah, they're way better to look at. And their energy is just a little bit more fun. And plus, I'm an entertainer. So we'd go out, we'd hang out at McDonald's, and I just tell jokes for an hour and yeah. make girls laugh. So for me, it was fun. We'd go hang out. I make girls laugh. I come home. I had a great time. You right. know, that was that was a win for me. You know, yeah, I made I girls you. laugh today. So um, I was just a ladies man. Um, but what I noticed was I wasn't going after girls. Girls were coming after me. Mm. Right. So. I might approach them initially, but how I got them to attach to me was more of an attraction thing. I mm-hmm. was gaining girls by not going after them, by not pursuing them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, again, just to fast forward the story, I don't want to add too many details here, sure. but um, I was creating these rules. Right. And I have a fiance now. Right. And I always said to myself, like, one day I'm going to write a book on the dynamics between men and women but I don't want to do it until I'm married because I know at that point I will have mastered this information. All right. That's I, fair. I, you know, I would, I felt like I would be perpetrating. Yeah. 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 Right. I would be faking the funk if I wrote this book as a single man. Right. So, you know, I've been with my woman forever. It feels like, like, like out of high school practically. Right. Oh, wow. Like off and on. And we have kids together. Right. We have a beautiful right. family, but, I know that was a very rocky road. Yeah. A lot of a, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of offs and ons, breakups and makeups, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, if I can master this relationship, I can definitely give men advice. Yeah. And after I mastered this relationship, what I found out was it wasn't about her. Mm. It was about me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How I conducted myself 
affects the people around you and affects the women around you, affects the children around you. So I said, I have to make me better in order to make this relationship better. And that's what the book was about. The book is about how to make men better. It's not a pickup artist book. The thing is, women choose you. You don't choose women. Yep. But when you're high value, more women choose you. So some people feel like this book might be a pickup artist book. It's not a pickup artist book. There are elements in there that tell you what makes you more attractive to pick up women, but it's not that type of book. It's called The Unbreakable Rules of Masculinity. And really with everything, the emasculation of men that's happening now, I felt like it's more you know, um, important now than ever. So I sat down and I, and, I, and again, having these rules over the years, right? Mm-hmm. And having to get them out of my head. But I always knew I was gonna write this book at least a decade ago. I just didn't feel like I was qualified to write it yet. I got you. And then once I was like, oh, I got a hang- handle over my relationship, I can now, uh, input this device to other people. Right. I, I appreciate that, honestly, because so many people try to try to write books, you know, when they're like 22. And I'm like, the fuck am I reading your book for? <laughs> you know, like you don't know anything, man. Like no disrespect. But until you've actually accomplished something, I can't take you seriously. That's just so I, I think that's that's beautiful that you actually had the patience to to wait it out. And I, I made this point when I was on part of the problem with Dave Smith last week. But I really feel like not just the not just the emasculation of kids, which is uh, boys in particular, um, which has been happening for the past 30 years. But then you have these lockdowns and you have this this push for risk aversion where like, you know, I don't know about you, but me in my 20s, I was all about risk. You know, I was about like going out there, risking everything to make it in for a woman, to make it for a career, to make it, you know, all these all these things that I was pushing to do. And and if you had broken that from my spirit, like if you had told me, hey, you're you're 19 years old, you got to stay in your fucking house for a year and you got to wear a mask and you can't smile at strangers and you can't you know, talk to a girl that you see on the street like I, it would have broken me, man. So I'm very concerned about the, the trajectory of this society. And I, I really appreciate people like you that are out there trying to reinstill that value of masculinity because I think it's sorely lacking. Yeah, you know, um, I would love to lie and say that was a reason why I wrote the book. I know, I know. Uh, I'm know, not saying you won it for no, the no, 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 about, no, you know. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you're putting words in my mouth. Absolutely yeah. not. What I'm saying, I would love to lie and say that's a reason. I just found that that was a benefit of writing my book. True that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it was like I had plans of this, um, and it just so happened that the timing was perfect. Right. No, right? and it was, and it yeah. was. I mean, couldn't have been better. Um, I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, I, like when I'm watching you, it seems as if you're building towards something. And I don't know if that's just because you're a marketer and and you have a, a gripping way of delivering or what it is, but it, it feels as if you're building towards something. So I'm curious, do you have any political aspirations? Are you are you headed towards something that's above and beyond what you're doing now? Or is it just about mastering where you're at and building from on this platform that's already growing so well? I have no political aspirations. That's fair. Yeah, I, I didn't had, think so, but I had to ask. I had some inklings in 2016 mm-hmm. because I was so new to it and mm-hmm. it was so exciting. And, I'm, and my dad always used to tell me, you know, because um, I'm great with words and so on and so forth. I'm very um, persuasive, right? right. I've, you know, being a marker, you have to understand persuasion. So he used to say, um, you know, you should be a politician or you should be an attorney, right? It's the same and thing he, my parents told me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but 
again, those things turned out to be great to be uh, a podcaster and, right. <laughs> and, and an a entrepreneur. Yeah. Right, and an entrepreneur, right. Yeah. Um, so I have no political um, aspirations. Uh, do I want to affect politics? Absolutely. Right. Um, and like we said, politics is um, downstream from culture and, 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 and culture is downstream from business. So I have seven corporations. Um, and um, mo- most of them are concentrated in tech mm-hmm. and, and, and tech wholly drives culture. So, you know, when I think about my, my um, aspirations, um, I think the closest person doing it is probably Kanye, right? Mm-hmm. Like his dream was my dream. I wanted to find some place in the middle of nowhere and I didn't have this word until he created, but it was, he calls it like a campus, right? Mine is more concentrated. I think he has a lot of things he wants to do on his land. Yeah, that dude's wild. Yeah, I, I really just want to build, uh, uh, the, 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 th- the closest thing for me to describe it right now is an escape. Okay. Uh, a mental conditioning escape uh, for adults. Mm. Um, as far as children, so I guess it's just twofold. I want to build, I hate this word and so I, I don't want to use it, but just so people understand me, I have to use it an orphanage. Right. Hmm. Um, I have aspirations of adopting like massive amounts of children and figuring out some way to give them. Cause I, I feel like orphanages is just not, no, it's rough. many of them are just, just run poorly and underfunded. Yep. So, you know, I want to, I want to do that, but also for the adults, I want to, build like this second world hmm. and um is this, I, is this a physical or like a physical okay physical wow yeah so i i, I I'm, I'm envisioning like a dome people walking around in robes um gardens beekeeping um uh complete absence of media complete absence of social media um uh libraries um Whole Foods, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know things of that nature, right? Yeah. And then you get to come and you get to detox. It's really like a a, a mental detox, right? And and I want it to be uh, free. Oh, that's beautiful. So but it's like I a also, meditation retreat almost. Yeah, I want it to be free, but you'd have to qualify to come. Like some, you'd have to have some sort of hardship. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't, I don't think it would be based upon income. Income could be a factor, but sure. I think there's a lot of rich people that need to like you got a lot of celebrities that lose their mind. Okay. I think it would be great to have this homeless person from New York in the same place as this ex pop star who's going through it. Right. Right. I think those two people coming together in the same place, having pretty much the same mental issues, beekeeping together, gardening together, reading together, lectures together, music together. You know, like music would be a big part of it. There'd be no synthetic music. There'd be all acoustic, right? Man. Yeah. So sounds like, like you need to part partner with Kanye on this, man. It sounds like he'd be down. Yeah. I, the thing is, I want to be a billionaire first, so we can see eye to eye. Right yeah, now, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. it'd be like me asking and and him leading. Right. And I don't want it to be leading. I want it to be a partnership. Yep. Because. I don't think he'd respect me enough to allow me to have the say so I need to say and the arguments I need to have with him. Yep. 
right? Because I, I totally me agree. and him are going to have to argue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. no doubt about that. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much, Hotep, for coming on, man. It's been a blast. You guys can check him out. Um, Hotep Jesus on YouTube. Hotep Jesus on, well, probably all social media, I'd imagine, right? Yep. All right. And then uh, BrianSharp.co and it's S-H- HotepJesus.com uh, goes there. So you can just put HotepJesus.com oh, and it goes to the same place. Yeah. Perfect. Well, pleasure to meet you, brother. It was a, it's a pleasure, time. man. Great interview. Thanks, brother. Talk soon. Well, that was a blast. Uh, as you can see, uh, Hotep, Hotep Nation and the Liberty Lockdown Nation has a lot in common. And I think that in a moment as dire as this, we need to be able to identify allies. And I will consider Hotep Jesus an ally in this fight. I think that he understands the complexity of the situation in a way that very few people do. And I think that he's got a lot of insight that contributes to the conversation that we're all having. So I hope you guys reach out to him. You know, Thank him for coming on the show. Uh, make sure you follow him. He's at Hotep Jesus on YouTube and Instagram and uh, Twitter. Every, I'm sure everywhere. Um, check out HotepJesus.com. And I wanted to thank everybody. Obviously, going on part of the problem blew things up tremendously. So uh, we're pushing heavy, heavy download numbers now, and it's blowing my mind. Uh, but we got 20 more five-star reviews on iTunes. I uh, can't believe the uh, the continued support you guys are giving me. It's really just heartwarming. Uh, we got two write-ups out of those, and we got Kearns122 and 23 says, love it, great new podcast, five stars. And then we got JP Team W says, with you, brother. Just wish there was more people who were liberty-minded and not so many useful idiots. It's absolutely mind-blowing how many Americans just comply and conform to all these violations of freedom. What can we do? You should have Legal Man on. Thanks for your important work. I would love to have Legal Man on, actually. I've listened to quite a few of his episodes, and he's got the uh, the law side hammered down and really understands, very similar to Hotep, how, how absolutely disastrous uh, most of these things are. So let me know. Anyways, uh, thank you guys. If you want to support the show, obviously leave a five-star review on iTunes is great. If you share it, even better. And if you really, 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 really want to show that you're loving the show and you also want to tell the lockdown supporters to shove it up their ass, go to Teespring. That's T-E-E, spring.com, backslash, liberty-lockdown-podcast. And you will find my merch, which is a bunch of sick shirts with Statue of Liberty and handcuffs, little tiny guns on the front. I rock it in every episode, so you can see the guns in the front. It's a, it's just an easy way to, to support the show. They're only like 25 bucks or something, so it doesn't cost a ton. And uh, spreads the word. Appreciate you guys. Check you next, I don't know, later this week. Love you. We out. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. World premiere. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical fappening. A typo with Luke might bring them nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit didn't know I could spit. Know I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. 
Peter Quinones, invite me on. Which podcaster sends custom songs? Part of the problem, now I stand with the people. Dave showed the way, but I am unequal. Lions of Liberty now hear me roar. Beat running out, but I got a bit more. Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth, but I made him a sandwich. Now I'm man of the house. No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit. I went over BLM with the fire I spit. Friends against government just call us fags. Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag. Allowable opinions get thrown on the ground. Silky Smooth Tom was the only sound. Getting so hot must be Air July. Screaming in the mic, a rip of 59. Miles Jure showed that black guns matter. Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders. None of us wanted war, but we're ready. You know I be bopping and rock steady. Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe. Let's get into the show.